So the question to start today is this. Have you been looking for something, searching for something, and had to look a little bit deeper underneath the surface than you intentionally or initially thought you would? Have you ever had to, like, you're searching for something, maybe in your house, maybe that sock that your daughter or your son lost, and you're like, well, we can't find that sock ever again, right? It got lost into the abyss, and you start to, like, search for it, right? And as you get into searching for it, you start to go underneath the surface of just looking around the room. You're digging into the couch. You're digging into the rug. You're doing whatever you can to find it, right? What's interesting with that is, what's interesting with that is this is you may or may not have found the thing you were searching for, but what's interesting is what you end up finding on top of what you were searching for, right? That happened here just a few weeks ago. If, you, if you've noticed, there's some building stuff happening around our building, some building projects, and one of them is happening in here in the auditorium. We freshen up the paint, we're getting new carpet, but also one of the big things that happened is our sound system got updated, which is a huge thing. And as we were prepping for that, and as Paige was planning for it, and Dwayne was helping us, and all sorts of things were happening, right, we started to say, we need to check out underneath the stage currently, so we know how to kind of move things around, where to point to, and what to take place in. And I ended up telling this story to one of our students, and she said, you got to use this as an illustration, and today it's happening, right? But what we found was interesting once we started digging to the stage, because as we got into looking what was underneath the stage, I am one of those guys that when you start searching, you just start pulling things, right? I don't know how many of you are like that, right? You're like, give me a job, and I'll just start pulling. I don't care if it breaks. I don't care if it needs to be there. I'll start pulling, and we'll see what happens, right? And I started to pull stuff because we didn't need it. And there were some extension cords laying around, and me and Paige were like, where do these go, right? So I started pulling. And all of a sudden, out of one of the boxes, I started to pull on one end of the extension cord, and I got there, and then all of a sudden, it was connected to another extension cord. I was like, hmm. So I started to pull out of the box, 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 pull out of the box. And that extension cord was connected to a power strip that had an extension cord connected to that. So then I started to pull out of that, pull out of that, pull out of that, and there was this bundle that was connected to another power strip. And that power strip had two extension cords connected to it. And so I was like, oh, it's game time, right? Let's, and, and Paige is like, what do you think those connect to? I'm like, we're gonna find out. You know, we're going to see what was been under there this whole time. And so I start pulling out one. I pull, I pull, I pull, and it ends up just being this. It wasn't connected to anything. And I was like, well, that was depressing a little bit. So I'm like, well, the second one, I give it a heave. I'm pulling, and I'm pulling, and I'm pulling, and I'm pulling, and I kid you not. Nothing was connected to it. And so underneath of our stage was an extension cord connected to a power strip connected to another extension cord connected to a power strip that had two extension cords literally connected to nothing, just sitting underneath the stage waiting for someone to find it, right? And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, this project may be more worth it than we thought, right? Our building won't burn down now, and so all the things that will happen with that, right? But here's what's interesting. When you start to search... And you start to dive in, you start to find things underneath the surface you didn't know were there. You may not have seen before, you may not have thought. We didn't realize an extension cord to a power strip to an extension cord and on and on and on existed underneath of our stage. And what we're going to find out today is this. As Jesus teaches us to pray, he's going to teach us a prayer 
that will get underneath the surface a little bit. He is going to teach us a prayer that is going to go underneath of surface level inside of our life and invite us into something special. But what we're going to find out is it's not a safe or easy prayer to pray because here's the thing. When we get under the surface, when we decide to look and see what's underneath of our life and what's going on in our hearts, it may be hard, may not be easy, might feel uncomfortable, but what happens in the process is beautiful. And what God does is glorious. And that's the prayer we're going to look at today. We're in a series called Teach Us to Pray. It comes from a passage in Luke 11 where we see Jesus' disciples interacting with him. And they notice something different about Jesus' prayer life. Something different about how he prays, but also the fact of when he prays. And how often he prays and how specific his context for prayer is. In Luke 11, verse 2 through 4, we see this. He said to them after they asked Jesus, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Over the course of this series, I want to challenge you to three things. Challenge you to three things, and my challenge is pick one of the three, at least one of the three to jump into. The first one is this. Every series, we provide a series guide. We have some awesome volunteers here that work up a devotional that you can carry from Monday to Saturday. So I would challenge you, it's on the back wall, grab one after the service, start diving into it. It correlates with what we're talking about throughout this series. Also on the back wall are two books that I would highly recommend, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, and then Dangerous Prayers. And you can go back there, don't take those books, those are my books. I'll hunt you down, right? I said that last week, I'll hunt you down, right? But go back there, take a picture, buy them on Amazon. Right? 11 bucks, 12 bucks, or something like that. Make sure you grab those. The second thing I would invite you to think about doing is joining our prayer gathering on Sunday mornings. They meet at 9 o'clock here at the campus in the back building, and they just pray for 45 minutes to an hour over what's happening in here, but over people's lives, over our community. I would invite you to jump into that with them. Lastly is what Paige invited us into is on September 24th, the prayer and worship night. We're going to have fun fall stuff, but we're also going to offer up to God the patio, what's happening in here, and to services. And so we would invite you to be a part of that fun evening where we're going to intentionally pray and intentionally worship God. As we go throughout the next three weeks, we're going to be jumping into some very specific prayers. Today we're going to look at the prayer of search me, Next week, we're going to look at the prayer of break me. The week after, we're going to look at the prayer of send me. Because here's the reality. Last week, if you, if you weren't here last week, you can check our service or our sermon out online. I would invite you to do so. It's a podcast style, and so you can just take it with you as you go. But it will help you gain some context to what we're jumping into the next three weeks. Because last week, what we did is we started in Luke 11... And we said that the disciples noticed that Jesus was praying differently. And there was something very specific to the prayer that, that Jesus was praying that was different. It was different in how he was praying because he was addressing God, Yahweh, as Father. 
there was an intimacy, there was a personal connection to that prayer that they noticed. And they noticed that, were, that, that not only Jesus was praying differently, but the frequency of his prayers. They noticed that he prayed several times when he was around them, with them. He would go off and then come back. He would spend time with the Father. And prayer, interesting enough, was a very relevant conversation for a first century Jew. The disciples saying, teach us to pray, would not have been an unnormal thing for them to ask. It wouldn't have been odd for them to go to their teacher and say, teach us to pray. It was very relevant. And I think sometimes we can think that that must have been a Bible times thing. Or it must have been a first century thing, or it must have been a Jewish thing. But interesting enough, there's been a study found by Barna Research Group, who does a lot of church and spirituality research. They said this, the top spiritual practice an unbeliever would be willing to engage with to experience God is prayer. So think about it. An unbeliever, someone who is not connected to Jesus, maybe is exploring Jesus, maybe is interested, or maybe doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, right? Is interested for all of humanity. There is something to be said about the, the human connecting with the divine. You see that throughout not just Christianity, but through a number of religions, there's something about someone hearing me, someone caring for me, someone listening to me. There's something to be said about us understanding in those moments the weakness that gets exposed in our lives. We can't do it all for ourselves. And one of the most frequent times someone prays is in crisis. They know they can't do anything. It's out of their control. The reality is this, as we talk about prayer, I think prayer honestly creates kind of an equal playing field. Whether you're a middle schooler in here and you're praying to just get through the pop quiz or the test that your teacher gave you, and you're like, please, Lord, just let me have this one, right? Or you're a high schooler and you're hoping him or her will say yes to the date to homecoming or that your ball game goes well, on and on and on. Or you're a young adult, and you're like, what in the world, what am I supposed to do with life, right? You're just like, they threw me out, and now I'm doing what? What am I supposed to do, right? And you're praying for direction, wisdom. You're praying for insight. Or you're a young parent, a young family, and you just aren't sleeping enough. And you're just praying because you don't have enough to give, right? Or maybe you are watching your kids now go through middle school and high school, and you remember that stage. You're praying for them. You're praying as they navigate whatever it may be. Or you're watching your kids have kids. Wherever you're at, I think prayer is an equal playing field of some sorts. But what's interesting about prayer is this. Is that I think sometimes, as much as it is an equal playing field, where I think all of us have some desire to connect with God in and through that, I think a lot of times how we pray is different. And what we pray about is different. And if I were to be honest... Oftentimes, I choose very safe, comfortable prayers in my life. Tyler Stanton, who writes the book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, he would say this, constantly overwhelms lives should drive us to prayer at its purest and rawest, right? We can, we can understand that. Overwhelms, crisis, intense, whatever it is, right, it's drawing us to that, or it should at least. But the tendency for many of us is to pray safe, 
calculated prayers that insulate us from both disappointment and freedom. It's an interesting quote. It's an interesting statement. Because when you read that, right, you think, yeah, I, I hear him. I hear what he's saying in that first line at least. Crisis hits. Anxiety hits. Stress hits. We run into prayer. But what does he mean by calculated safe prayers? Is that really something to be talked through? Well, here's the reality as I was thinking about it. And as I was thinking about my prayer life and what I do, oftentimes it is very calculated and safe. Oftentimes the way I pray is more or less me telling God what I am intending to do and asking him to bless that. <laughs> I intend to eat this food. Bless the McDonald's, please. You're like, there ain't no blessing in McDonald's, right? <laughs> I want to do this ministry thing, so I'm going to pray about it. Would you bless that? I, I just don't want my kids to do this or that. Would you just bless that? And oftentimes what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to insulate, create a calculated, safe life. And as long as I verbalize it at some level, maybe... And here's the reality as I was thinking about this because it got really personal really quick. And so I was thinking, man, my safe and easy prayers, they don't require much faith or courage. They just require about 15 minutes every morning. They require me to walk through the day leaning into the stillness and the quietness of being with God, wrestling with God, asking God, running into him. It does not require God to be God in my life. Because here's the reality. When I am insulated from disappointments, when I'm insulated from the disappointment of maybe my prayer is this, or maybe my prayers don't do this, or maybe life's not going to go this way, I actually am not trusting God as God. If I'm just trying to insulate from disappointment, then I'm trusting myself as God. I will pray for as much as I can do, nothing beyond that. But the interesting thing is he says it also insulates us from freedom. We're going to look at a little bit of this today, and we looked at it last week a little bit. But when I'm insulated from freedom, what I think he's trying to say there is this, safe and calculated prayers never allow me to love God as God. Never allow me to run into God and truly love him for who he is and all he's done for me in life. It never requires me to actually be in intimate pers personal relationship with him because all that I'm doing is distancing myself and making sure that everything goes as I want it to go. And safe and easy prayers reveal the kind of relationship that I have with the Father. Now Jesus, here in this little passage we're going to look at, he speaks to this inside of his prayer. He speaks to this inside of the Lord's Prayer and then other passages that we're going to look at today and the rest of the weeks. Jesus invites us to not pray safe and easy. Jesus invites us into some pretty dangerous, difficult, and different prayers. That will take seasons and years to get adjusted to and to make normalcy inside of our prayer life. As I walk through the next three weeks, I want you to know this is not an easy conversation for me either. 
actually shifted where we were going to go with this series about three weeks ago in light of thinking this conversation was more pertinent and important for us in this season. But I think this conversation will challenge us individually and maybe as a church to start praying more and more like Jesus and inviting the Father into our moments, not just a moment, but the moments throughout the day. Let's look at Luke 11, verse 4. This is where we're going to land today. Jesus prays this, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. What we're going to look at today, the main point today is the prayer, search me. That is what we're going to look at today. Search me. We're going to ask Jesus to show us how do we pray in light of that. Now, we're going to look at Luke 11, verse 4, but we're also going to start in a passage in the Psalms, which if you have not read the Psalms of recent, I would challenge you to do so. They're beautiful. and They allow you to really focus in on praying through them, worshiping through them. Psalm 139 is where we're going to be. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. This passage, in essence, is where we see this prayer being lived out God. And know my heart. Now, let's give you some context. This is King David. David, young boy who defeated Goliath, now is King David. And he is praying this, worshiping God and asking him of this. It says, search me, God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's where the psalm ends. We're going to look at some of the context. But what I thought was interesting is this. That is a scary prayer to pray. That is a scary prayer to pray. You might be like, why? Right? Why? It, it flows well. Seems nice. Why would that be a scary prayer to pray? Because ultimately what we're going to see is this. This prayer is asking God to make visible in my life what I don't see yet. It is asking God to reveal to me what is not visible in me, what I can't see going on in my heart. It is, God, would you reveal to me, would you show me, would you make it apparent to me the things that are going on that are unhealthy? I think what's interesting is this. He uses two different terms, and, and this is how I read it, and so just, just go with me here. I think it is easier to invite someone to know me, not search me. It's easy to say, yes, I know you, or someone knows me, but when you talk about someone searching you in your heart, that gets a lot more dangerous. Here's an example, right? Me and my wife, when we were dating and then got engaged, we started to plan a wedding, right? Because we wanted to party with everyone. We wanted to have fun. We wanted to, to, to you know, invite everybody into that moment. We started planning the wedding. Simultaneous to that, we started to do what they call premarital counseling, okay? Here's the reality. We could have got to the wedding without premarital counseling knowing each other pretty well, right? Knowing what ticks each other off, what gets each other excited, what's going on in each other's life decently, right? And at the wedding, we would have had an external, visible, exciting moment. But here's the reality about a wedding, is that a wedding 
is a one-day thing. Not every day is going to feel like the wedding day. And so all of a sudden, it goes from we know each other to we know each other, right? You get a year in, two years in, you're like, we know each other. Well, what did the premarital counseling do? It was the search me process. We knew each other, or at least we thought we knew each other, right? And then all of a sudden, you get into premarital, and if premarital is done right, it gets you into different conversations about love languages and, and history and experiences. And all of a sudden, our knowledge of each other got deeper. Because it ultimately was the searching of each other's hearts inside of that process. Here's the reality. This prayer is inviting God into that seat with you. It's inviting God to search in your heart and reveal to you what is not healthy, what is not good, what is not right, and what is not there for him. We can all say yes to Jesus in a moment, have an external experience, have an external feeling, but that only carries so far. This prayer be in relationship with you and show you things that will drive you into him more and more and more and more. It's the search me conversation. And as we dive into this conversation, my invitation to you is this, is that you would make it personal. I think it is really easy for me. I'll just speak for me and I'll let you guys listen in and, and do your own self-reflection. It's really easy for me if things are going well externally or I have enough control externally to think everything inside of me is going well. If I put the right clothes on, if I have the right words to say, if my kids aren't screaming, right? If the house isn't a wreck, if the lawn is mowed, if people and me are talking and we're in good relationship, good standing, it's easy to assume everything's going well, going well inside of me. This prayer challenges that. It challenges that because it goes deeper than that. What are your motives? What are you actually thinking? What are you actually doing? And so it's going to be real personal. It's going to be real intimate. And it's going to be transformative. It allow, it's allowing God to get inside of us to transform us ultimately to become more and more like him. Now, do you know the, the context of this passage? Because we saw the last two verses. Here's a couple of the first verses. This is what uh, David would write. Psalm 139, 1 and 7. You have searched me, Lord. And you know me. Where can I go from your spirit? Verse 7 says, where can I flee from your presence? Right? The skeptic in me says, then why do we need to pray this prayer? Some of you are like, exactly. Right? God already knows what we're doing. He knows where we're at. He knows what's going on in my head. He knows what I'm going to do next. He knows the words that are going to come out of my mouth next. He knows the thoughts you're having right now about me. I'm just kidding. Right? And you might be like, well, why this prayer? What is going on here? Why is David running into this? Because David knows before he commits a sin, God knows about it. Before he runs into his fears, God knows about it. And the simple question I would ask is this. Yes, God knows me. But do I know what's going on inside of me? Craig Rochelle, who writes Dangerous Prayers, says this. Instead of simply asking God to do something for me, I asked him to reveal something in me. 
I think it's very easy, and it is rightfully so, it is a prayer that we need to pray. Give us today our daily bread. In the Lord's Prayer, it is said. But it is very easy to pray safe, calculated prayers that are simply asking God to do something for me instead of asking God to reveal something in me. I think it's really easy to get into a rhythm of that and never allow the gospel to actually transform my life, but to just try to be better on the outside of my life. And this prayer isn't just a prayer of God, search me, show me all my ugliness, and I got to sit in it. What we're going to see is this prayer is actually redeeming, restorative, and beautiful. Because ultimately, in this, God wants to redeem us through it. But when David prays, search me and know me, what is he asking? There's three things we're going to look at real briefly, and then we'll close. First one is this, see my sin. See my sin. Here's the reality. There's been a number of, of sermons where we've talked about this this summer, so I'll keep it brief. But at a heart level, we are all corrupt. We're all corrupted with sin. We are all born with sin. We're all born as sinners. Paul Tripp says that in one of his books. The sin inside of us is more dangerous than the sin outside of us, and we don't often see it as such. We're blinded to the sin that often goes on in our hearts until God reveals it. And sin is not just a bad thing that I end up doing sometimes, and it's kind of this or that. Actually, sin is more than behavioral It is natural because it is something I'm born with. But also sin, we have to understand, is first relational. Sin is not just, "Ah, I did something bad over here. It actually is first relationally, vertically relationally destructive. Separates me from God in a relationship with him. I can't be in the holy presence of God in my sin. But also destroys relationship horizontally. And so sin, it corrupts our hearts. And yet, it's really hard for me to see. It's really easy for me to point out the sin in everybody else's life. It's really hard for me to see the sin in my own life. Isaiah would write it like this in 29, 13. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. That's sometimes, if not most times, how I interact with God, unfortunately. Where, where I have things going on in my heart, but I decide not to address them because it's just easier, or I'm just blinded to it, or I just don't see it. My heart oftentimes will deceive me in that. You're not that bad. No, they're worse than you. It didn't really hurt them that much. It couldn't impact them that much, Right? And the reality is, the farther and farther I go without inviting God into it, the farther and farther I am deceived into thinking that I'm just okay and I can do it myself. And in this passage, what we see is this. Even if you have externally have it all together, you may be internally falling apart. Even if you have it externally all together, you're probably internally falling apart and wrestling with that. Because my heart will deceive me and I'll do one of two things inside of my sin. I'll either hide it or I hero it. I hide it or I hero it. Some of us are hiders, right? 
where, where sin is happening inside of our life, and so we just kind of like push it to the side, push it to the corner. We just don't talk about it. The in-laws are coming over. Just, Every shut up, shut up, right? Just, no one can see, right? We gotta have that. We gotta go out to school, drop the kids off. But it's like, have a good day, have a good day. Just like get it past, right? You just kind of hide it, but it kind of just does their thing. That's how some of us are. That's how I am. If I just stuff it down, it will leave. And I will keep being able to move on with my life. Others of us, we try to hero it, right? We try to hero it. And I muscle up, I, I, I change, I put on better clothes, I put on a better face, I put on a better this or that, and I try to make it through. And so search me is intimidating to both of those things. Because if you're a hider, you're like, Ain't, you know nobody going to find that, Right? If you're a hero, you're like, I got, I got on my own. I can do it on my own. And the reality is, God inviting us into this prayer is the most gracious thing that the God of the universe could do for us. If I'm hiding it or heroing it, I become my own savior in it. And I will always fall flat on my face in that. But when I recognize that God's inviting me into this, and it starts by inviting him to see my sin, there's actually this gracious invitation for him to do something in me that I cannot do in myself. Search me is the prayer inviting my me from him. And this is what I love about it. Search me doesn't end with condemn me. Search me leads me to save me. What search me does is it drives me into the one and the only one who can save me, and that is the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. That's what you have to understand with this prayer is that when you ask God to search your heart and look and see the sin that's going on, it doesn't end with, you are this and I saw this. It ends with him graciously wrapping his arms around you and inviting you into relationship all the more. What he wants you to know is, yes, he is your father and he is the holy God of the universe, the only one who can save you from you inside of that. And so, when David is praying this, he's first saying, see my sin. See my sin because search me leads me to save me. Jesus has saved me from the penalty of sin and is continually saving me from the presence of sin in my life. So search me leads me to save me. But how do I know if he is seeing sin in me? That's the other, I'm very tangible. I got to get my hands on it a little bit, right? I'm like, well, how do I know if he's seeing, what, like, is there going to be like an angel comes down? This sin and this sin and this sin? Is it going to appear in my journal? Like, how do I know that he's speaking to me? Well, one is the spirit of God leaning into your life and calling things out. And sometimes that's audible. Sometimes that's not, right? The spirit of God leading. But there's two very clear ways that God uses us and his word. First is this, do I read it in scripture? I've talked to a lot of people where they're like, man, I was just reading, I was praying, asking God, and then I read this passage. And I'm like, coincidence? I think not, right? That reading in scripture allows you to see the will and the heart of the Father. That is him writing to us. If you see it in scripture... And then you see it in your heart. He's probably calling that to the surface. And something needs to be walked in with that. The second thing is, do I hear it from others? Right? That's another way that God works in and through his spirit. That you have other brothers and sisters in Christ 
coming around you and sharing with you things that they're seeing, and it's all kind of aligning and sounding the same. And all of a sudden, you're starting to see some dots connect, and all of a sudden, you need to run into that maybe because God's using his community, his family, the body to come together and do what it is supposed to do. And so my question to you is this, am I inviting my Savior to see my sin? Am I inviting my Savior to see my sin? Not an easy prayer, not saying it is, but it is a relieving prayer. Because when you invite the one who can do something about your sin into it, it frees you. But David doesn't just end there. He invites him to see his sin, but he also invites him to find his fears. Find my fears. In Psalm 139, go back to that real quick, we see in the second kind of line there, to search me, God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. This is interesting to me. And I love that David mentions this because he's kind of ahead of his time a little bit, right? We, right now in our culture, mental health is a really big, necessary conversation. And David, thousands of years ago, was already writing about it, wrestling with it inside of his thoughts. And here's the reality. Why would he point this out? Because, right, it's pretty common for us to talk about sin in church, right? right? You, you hear that a lot. You're like, of course, we'd start with sin and, and search me. But when we talk about find my fears, that often gets kind of brushed aside sometimes. I think it's fascinating that David connects the two. And I think my thoughts, I have to understand this, my thoughts and my heart, they're tied together. My mind and my heart are tied together. What I believe is what's going to motivate me, what I believe is what I'm going to act out in. Craig Rochelle, in his book, again, he writes this, God shows me that what I fear the most revealed where I trusted God the least. That ultimately in my fears, I start to see where I'm trusting God the least. And let's be honest, that's a really hard conversation to have. Because we want to make sure everybody in our family, in our friend group, in, in our circle is safe, and everything's under control. And yet, when we bring it to the surface, the reality is this. Now, for some of us, we maybe fear about our kids, fear about our career, fear about relationships, marriage, fear about the future. We fear about this or fear about that. Wherever you fear the most, you probably trust God the least. And that is something I've had to wrestle with constantly. And it doesn't make sense to me. I always wrestle with it. I'm like, where do I go with this? But I think ultimately when I fear or when I fear the most and I trust God the least, what I'm actually trusting the least is his love for me and what he has done for me. That when I have anxiety or stress or worry, and I'm simplifying things because we don't have much time, right? There's way more we could dive into. When those things come up, I think the root of it is the reality that I don't trust God and his love for me and what he has introduced to me inside of my new identity. First John 4.18, John shares this, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. If you love or are in a loving relationship, there should be no fear about what do they think of me, what are they going to do to me, what's going to happen here. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in the love that God has towards us. 
well, is today going to be the day, or do I have to do this for him? Or maybe I messed up here. Is he going to? He's like, no, no, no. There's no fear in that. I love you. I died on the cross for you. I did this for you. This is once for all. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And the simple question I would ask is this. Do I fear more than I trust? Do I fear more than I trust? I'm simplifying a lot of things for this section, and I wish I could go longer about it. <clears throat> but I think what God's inviting us into in the search me in this portion when David says, search me, know my anxious thoughts, find my fears. I think God wants us to pray this fear ultimately so that we fall into his love. That we would trust his love for us. That that worry, that anxiety, that stressor is nothing compared to the love God has for us and the promises he's made towards us. And the reality is if we are called his children... We should trust that not only he is protecting us inside of that, but that he has a plan and purpose for us. And I can walk inside of that. I love Romans 8 for that reason. What can separate us from the love of God? And Paul lays out a lot of things, but basically what he's saying is nothing. Is nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, the love that he has for us. So, see my sin, find my fears, Am I inviting my father to find my fears inside of life? The last thing is this. We're asking God in search me to lead my life. Lead my life. Okay? If you are like me, this is a hard prayer. Because I like to lead my life. I like my life to look the way I want it to look. I like my calendar to look the way my calendar looks. I like my intentions to be the intentions I have and to play out as the way I want them to play out. All of those things. Lead my life is a hard prayer. But subsequently, it is the prayer that David invites us into in Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me which connects to that see the sin inside of me and lead me into the way everlasting. Lead me into the way everlasting. What is he saying here? I think he's asking the question, do we let God lead my life knowing that God is leading me into what is better and what is good? That life with God, life connected to Jesus, is nothing less than what he's promised us. Is it going to be hard? Is it going to always give us what we want? No. It's not always going to give us what we want. It's going to be hard. It, it, there's going to be spiritual battles inside of it. But the lead me in the way of everlasting is David is asking God to lead his heart and his life into the way of Jesus in essence. Lead me into what you want for me. It is a cry of dependence on Jesus. It is this cry of dependence saying, I cannot lead my life on my own. There's nothing I can do. There's no amount of control. There's no amount of power. There's no amount of money that can actually lead me into everlasting, which everlasting is the fullness of relationship with our creator and our father and our God. 
that ultimately as I'm inviting God to lead my life, it's not just lead my life into the career I want, into the marriage I want, into the kids I want, into this that I want, but ultimately lead me into what is better, what is good, which is life with you. And life living not just with you, but after you, following you, and doing what you do. Show me that. And if that means i got to quit the job over here because you're calling me to this, that's what it means. If that means i got to leave this relationship because you're leading me into something better, that's what it means. If it means doing the hard thing and having the conversation, that's what it means. David says, lead my life. Well, you might be like, Joel, well, how do I start that? Right? I'm glad you asked. Because I think there's actually three things just in very quick application that we can start doing today to invite these three things being prayed in my life. The prayer of search me to see my sin, the prayer of search me to find my fears, the prayer of search me to lead my life. And inside of that, I want to go back to Luke 11. Because I think Jesus, inside of his prayer, tells us how we can let God lead in our life. I want to keep it pretty simple because I don't have much time. But this is what he says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Right? We've talked about forgiveness in here, and forgiveness is hard. But here's the reality about that prayer. That prayer does not start with what I've done to initiate, but what God has done to initiate it in my life. And the reality is this, God offers his forgiveness freely. Am I willing to accept it? And I think the, one, uh, the ways that God wants us to invite him to lead us in his life is maybe a threefold way, and it's kind of a stepping stone way. How does this play out? How do I invite God to lead my life? First is you invite the Father in. This prayer is more than just a simple search me prayer. Let's move on. It is a prayer of releasing myself from being my own savior and recognizing he is and he's the only one and inviting him to be a part of that and to show me inside of that. It is inviting the relationship that he is offering to us inside of that. We got to invite the father in. I will hide or I'll hero it. But he says, I want to be in. Why, God? Because I love you. And you can have confidence. We looked at it last week in Hebrews. You can have confidence to run into me because I'm your father. Just invite me into your heart. Search me, God. And then secondly, this is what I would say. Confess out loud. I often, when it comes to like sin or fears, I'm like, you know, inside of my brain, I'm like, oh, sorry, God. Okay, let's move on, right? There's something to saying verbally speaking out, and you can be by yourself in this, okay? To God, what is wrong in your heart or where you're not trusting him? Writing the Father to search and through scripture or through other people, the spirit revealing to you and then confessing out, Father, I'm not doing that the way that you've asked me to do it. I've run from you. I'm in a relationship that I know you don't approve of. I'm doing things at school that I'm not supposed to. I'm hanging out with the crew that you told me to run from. You want this for me, and I'm running from it in this way, whatever it may be. 
There's something to confessing out loud that allows you to move in it. And I would say there's something to be said about confessing to God and then around trusted sources having that conversation for accountability. Because here's the reality. Tyler Stanton in his book would say this. This is a powerful, powerful quote. A maturing community is a confessing community. Not a church without sin, but a church without secrets. Oh, right? I would say this, church life can become really easy about hiding my secrets. Making sure that I put on the face and the mask to make sure that I go in and that no one asks me the question, how are you doing, and then follow up with it, right? How are you doing? Good, right? The reality is this, confessing out louds in trusted circles, right? We're not going to have a confession line that starts in service, okay? So don't be scared. But in trusted circles, where you know they love you and they're going to point you to Jesus is so healthy. Because all of a sudden it eliminates secrets horizontally, but it also eliminates fear and anxiety about your relationship vertically. The reason we hide, the reason we try to do it ourselves is because we don't trust that God has done it once for all through Jesus. So confessing is the pathway to that. 1 John 1, 9 this is what John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I miss this verse. It's like it doesn't exist in my Bible because I'm like, well, if I confess, then I'm condemned. What he said there is you confess, you for, you're forgiven. I invite you into that. I save you. The last thing is this. You have to accept his forgiveness. Jesus' forgiveness is free for you and me because it came at a cost for him. We were in debt because of our sin, and he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Now listen, after you finish writing, eyes up here. Because for some of us, maybe we're new to the Jesus thing, or maybe we've been in church for a long time, but the Jesus thing is newer. We've not really taking a step of faith to trust in Jesus. And this is for you. you. You can today invite Jesus into your life, inviting him to show you where you are off, where you are missing the mark, where you're running this way, and verbally out loud saying, I confess and accept that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And run into him and accept the forgiveness he gave. This is the most freeing, loving thing. I was thinking about it this, this morning as we were singing. Uh, who else? Who, who else gives forgiveness? And not asking for anything in return. Just does it freely. The Savior Jesus. But here's the reality. You might be in that boat and we'd love to talk to you. But maybe you've done that before. And today, there's secrets. There's things in your heart that aren't healthy. There's things that are going on that you're trying to run from. You're trying to press down. It's not happening. We got school. We got sports. We got work. The in-laws are coming in. Christmas is right around the corner. Like Paige said, dang it, I've got to figure out that, right? Yeah, let's push it down. Listen. Last week, we looked at Hebrews. 
writer of Hebrews says, run into the throne of God with confidence. Why? Because you're children. Do you know when I knew tangibly what love looked like? It's when my father and my mother forgave me and I ran into them in that. They could tell me over and over, I love you, Joel, I love you this, I love you that. When the rubber met the road and I'd done sins and I'd done messed up and I'd done, took out the neighbor's tulips when I was five and all that, and my father and my mother looked at me and said, we forgive you. That's when the love of my parents hit me. Listen, if you're questioning, you're not sure, I don't know the what ifs, search me, know me. Lead me, guide me, Father. You will experience his love in ways that you've never experienced before if you allow him to search your heart and move in it. Search me, I accept your forgiveness, and I want to move into life everlasting with you. Lead it. So this morning as the band comes up, I want to give you time to do that. I'm just going to give you a minute or two the band will just kind of play underneath to start that prayer. And here is my invitation, is that this morning and what you're about to do in prayer would carry into the rest of this week. Don't leave this prayer here. Don't leave it here. And if you need to talk to anybody today or this week, you know where to find us. Myself, someone on staff, a leader in your life, we would love to talk. We want to create a safe place where you can have these conversations. Let me read Psalm 139 again. And then I'm going to let you just be in the quiet of this moment and go to your Father. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Spend the next couple minutes in prayer.